Okay? Then it makes Ezekiel kind of come alive. I mean, you could read this, but unless you compare it to what's going on today, it doesn't have much meaning. But these things are happening right here. Uh, so this one individual is mentioned as well that was in the middle of it, and we're going to see he dies a little later on. So God is not happy with what is going on there. So it had the thick cloud of incense, so they're worshiping their God, the devil. Satan worship here. Verse 12, Then said he to me, Son of man, have you seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? The Bohemian Grove has their meetings primarily, as I understand at least, at night. And you have to have special invitation to get in there and see all these abominable things that go on. Every man in the chambers of his imagery. So there you have the image mentioned, the imagery. They are imagining what Satan and the demons look like. And they draw murals and caricatures of them on the walls and have all this stuff broadcast. They're doing it in uh, France with the CERN Collider. I've seen pictures of the paganism and all that that goes with it. And it's just, it's just, it makes you sick. It's utterly abominable. But there's something even worse than that. Now, that's worshiping Satan. That's doing all kinds of immoral, ungodly things. And he said also... <coughs> I choke up when I go to the next worst one. <coughs> Excuse me. 13, he said to me, Turn yet again, and I'll sow even greater abominations. <coughs> How can it get worse in Bohemian Grove? So he brought me to the door of the gate of the Eternal's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. <coughs> this goes back to the images of Satan worship with Nimrod and Semiramis. Tammuz apparently indicating the male uh, phalanx. So they're weeping over that. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn you yet again, and you shall see greater abominations than these. So they're worshiping the phalanx here. Have you heard of deism? Let me read you the definition out of Webster's Dictionary of Deism. A movement or system of thought advocating natural religion, such as worshiping nature, or Mother Gaia, they call it today. So it's a worship of the things around us. Emphasizing morality... And in the 18th century, <clears throat> uh, denying the interference of, a, of the Creator with the laws of the universe. So they deny that there is a true God who created the universe, and they worship the things that they see around them. That's what deism is. Now, I read an article 
just a few days ago that ties in very well with this because it brought up deism. And kind of shocking to read about some of the deists in our history as Americans. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. That means he does not believe in a creator God, or did not, and that he believed in worshiping the natural things around him, but he believed in a moral code. Now, he wrote in a letter to John Adams, who was one of our presidents and also a deist, that he did not believe there was a divine being that gave Moses the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> he said further that they were a good moral code that Moses had come up with on his own, and therefore the morality of deism is shown there in that he gave credence to what he called a good law. But it wasn't from divinity. That's Thomas Jefferson, one of our most revered leaders. John Adams, one of our presidents, was also a deist and was in communication with Thomas Jefferson about it. Thomas Paine, another famous American we read about in school, was a famous deist. And these are things that are written in their own words. Like, I mean, there are letters from Thomas Jefferson to, to John Adams that they have that are preserved and were quoted from in this article where they were saying it in their own words. They weren't accused of that. They were saying it. Now let's come to a biggie. George Washington was one of them. He was a deist. George Washington did not believe in God. He believed in worshiping the natural religion and that there is no creator who gave the laws of the universe. Those are our founding fathers. The list is longer than that. That's just four that I picked out that have special meaning. Those are on Mount Rushmore, some of them. <laughs> you think it's got to go? You know, some of the things Satan is doing play right into God's hands. Satan thinks 90% of the, and the, the New World Order thinks 90% of the population of the earth needs to die. What does God say in Scripture? 90% of the earth, actually plus, 90 plus, are going to die. So Satan is playing into what God has in mind. And Satan and his minions, his armies, are going to be the ones that do the dirty work. Thank you, they want to, they wish to, that's what their desire is. So God will let them. Just like with Job. Hey, Job. hey, Satan, have you noticed Job? Well, I've been kind of avoiding him. But look at Job. What do, you, what do you think of Job? I can take him. Okay, try it. Just don't kill him. <laughs> now, did Satan do just what God wanted? Yeah. If God says, rape, pillage, kill, murder... Satan says, yes, sir, I'm on it. So he does obey God sometimes when he thinks it's in his best interest. Well, it's not really obedience. It's going along with what God wants as long as it does what he wants. 
He doesn't have a spirit of obedience, is what I'm trying to say, but he's certainly willing to destroy, because that's what he is. So, we have these leaders, and those who founded our country were also most of the Masons, which is an ungodly organization. Then you begin to understand why Washington, D.C. is laid out in Masonic fashion, totally pagan, because the founders of our nation were pagan. They did not believe in God. Now, we've been fed that our leaders were Christian. Our founding fathers were Christians. No, they weren't. Their own words condemned them as non-Christian. Now, did they give us a pretty decent constitution? Yeah, in a way, uh, because it has a lot of the things of the law of God in it. And yet, it is still a government of men based on uh, Roman and Greek government and refined somewhat. In the buildings, the architecture in Washington, D.C. are also Roman and Greek. They're not godly. They're not according to the things God laid out for the Ark of the Covenant and the Temple and those things, are they? No, they're Greek and Roman. So this country was taken over from the very beginning by pagans. And we've been that way for 430 years now. And God's had it with it. He's not going to take it anymore. So he led me there to the temple uh, between the porch and the altar, verse 16, and there were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple. They had their backs to God, backs to the temple, if you will. <clears throat> and their faces toward the east, and they worshipped the sun toward the east. Now, here again, they are deists and ungodly because they worship the earth, and here they're worshipping the sun. I went through, we were in South Africa one year, and uh, I was aware that a lot of corporations have sun worship inculcated into their, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, their symbol for their com company, uh, their logo. Uh, and we went through a magazine there, and all the ads, and looked at the logos of all these different uh, companies, and nearly ever, every one of them had, in some form, stylized, done different ways, but the sun was in nearly all of them. We have a world worshiping that which God has created, not God. That becomes the greatest of idolatries, the greatest abomination. Even beyond worship of Satan, the abject... Uh, dismissal of God, where you worship what is around you rather than God. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. We're getting more and more violence every day in this nation and a return to provoke me to anger, and lo, they put the branch to their nose. Now, the branch is referred to often as a phalanx. Where is it? It's right under the nose of our capital, 
the father of our country that we recognize, George Washington, rather than the real father of Israel, God in heaven. I think it is also referring to homosexuality, the branch right under their nose, if you will. Therefore will I also deal in fury. My eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. He says, this is the ultimate. Now let's tie that with Romans 1. <clears throat> Paul addresses the same thing here. I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I mention homosexuality here in the branch to the nose uh, that Ezekiel is describing. Here we get into, <clears throat> let's start in 17 of, of uh, Romans 1. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now we're entering into time where faith in God and protection from Him is the only thing that is going to see us through. We'll read that a little later here today. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So even the law of God was recognized by our deist founding fathers, but they held that truth in unrighteousness. Oh, Ben Franklin was another one of them. He was a deist. Not only was he a deist, he was a mason as well, and he was involved in other secret societies in England and in France, where it was more of a Bohemian grove, uh, perverted type of thing as well. History is replete with stories of Benjamin Franklin involved in those things. Uh, Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. So utter, abominable, ungodly conduct. Then he says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Anyone who worships Mother Gaia and the Son is without excuse because they are bypassing the one who made the earth and the Son and worshiping the created rather than the creator. And he says you should be able to see God through what he's created. Because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, so they diminished him. They didn't glorify God. Even when, back in the past, they knew that there was a God. Neither were thankful. Not thankful God put them on the earth, or that he created this beautiful earth for us. We polluted it, uh, desecrated it, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Is Israel, which once had the light of God, now dark? and worshiping that which is not God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. We make our own gods. And God is jealous when anyone makes an image to worship other than God. 
an image of jealousy, made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Isn't that what Ezekiel described on the walls inside the hole through the door? Yes, it was. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creation more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, what did it include? What is done at Bohemian Grove and some of these secret societies? For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, lesbianism. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, putting the branch to their nose. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet or fitting. Now, God is upset with fornication and adultery, and he says fornicators and adulterers will not be in the kingdom of God. But there's sin which is even worse than that, because that even, in a sense, is a natural sin, because it, is, it comes from natural drives and desires. Though if not done within marriage, it becomes sin, Okay? But when it is an unnatural, perverted lust, it's even worse. And that's what God's brought God's ire down on Sodom and Gomorrah, was homosexuality. So that's a worse abomination. Now God is the man. He's not a mannequin. Men on earth are shaped the same way as God. And so we worship our own reproductive system and then pervert that into relationships that won't even produce. That's as abominable as it gets. Then he says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, unnatural affection then, implacable, unmerciful. That's a mouthful. <coughs> That's the abominations that God can't stand. Those are all part of the image of jealousy that Ezekiel is talking about. Unclean, wretched, abominable things, and... Paul describes it very much the same words Ezekiel does, only gives a little more detail. The book of Revelation does the same thing. Well, okay, let's go to chapter 9. <clears throat> he cried also in my ears with a loud voice saying, so here's a loud voice. This isn't something that was done quietly. Uh, God spoke up. In other words, listen, I'm saying this loudly. <laughs> Do we, when we want something to truly be heard, get louder? I was yelling at somebody the other day. I wanted them to hear what I had to say. So I got as loud as I could. He didn't listen. 
but I was being just as hard-headed, if not harder, than they were. Because they were stealing. So say this, he said this with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near. I want somebody to come. I want them to come to you, and I want them to hear you. Even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. So bring weapons. Don't just come, bring weapons. <clears throat> and behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lies toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. Spears, swords, maybe we'd say guns today as well. And one man among them was clothed with linen with a writer's inkhorn by his side, so he was equipped to write something down. And they went in and stood behind, beside the bronze altar. So here are six who have been summoned, and they have weapons of war, and one has the capacity to record on paper or vellum what is about to transpire. Um, verse 3, And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. So the presence of God was there, along with these six men. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. He's a key figure here. And the Eternal said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Now, we've just gone through and talked about abominations that are going on in this country right now. We saw it here. We saw it in Romans 1. It's throughout other prophecies as well. So here was... These six, and the one with the writing instrument, they were going to, and he was going to make a mark with his writing instrument on the foreheads of all those who were against the abominations that are going on. True believers, if you will. Those who worship God instead of the creature, or the created, and Satan. So he's singling out true worshipers of God. Do we see that anywhere else? Revelation 7.3, where he puts a mark or a seal upon the 144,000, the seal of God, marking them as his. You see it in Revelation 9.4, mentioning the same thing. God marking those that are his. Uh, Revelation 20 and verse 4 also talks about those who have the mark of God upon them. So, Ezekiel and the book of Revelation are tied very closely together here. Speaking of the same time. Speaking of the same events. And to the others he said, in my hearing, go after him through the city and spite, or smite, and let not your eyes spare, neither have you pity. Slay utterly, <clears throat> old and young both maids and little children, babies and women, but come not near any man of whom is the mark. 
and begin at my sanctuary. So he's enacting or playing out here the same thing, the same way he did by laying on his side and putting a siege upon Jerusalem. So he called loudly to have these six men come. One was to put a mark on the ones that God is going to protect, and the others were to come through with instruments of destruction and slay everybody in sight, anyone that did not have this mark that was put upon these people. And he said to them, start at my house, start with the church, okay? Destroy or defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go you forth. And they went forth and slew in the city, starting with the people of God. Now, do other prophecies tell us that we have a time coming when we are to flee to Zion and that we will have to be protected and God is going to bring 10% of His church from the four corners of the earth and protect them to finish His work? Now, this is a smaller group here that is being talked about than the 144,000 of, of Revelation, uh, because that's the whole 144,000 there. That includes those who have the stamp of approval or seal of God who have died in the past. Old Testament, early New Testament church, uh, people who have died in this era, and all through wherever some of God's people were. There are going to be a total of 144,000 when Christ returns. But this is speaking of an end-time prophecy wherein the people that are alive and serving God will have a mark on them, and the rest will die. Now, we know from other scriptures that only 10% of the church is going to come and be God's tithe at Zion and Jerusalem to finish his work. The other 90% are going to go into the tribulation and die there. Before they die, Zechariah 12, I think it is, 11 or 12, says that about a third of them will repent during tribulation. But since they are there, they will have to die after they repent physically die. Then they will be part of the 144,000 who come up when Christ returns and resurrects the 144,000. So they can be included in it, but these who receive the mark here are only that 10% that God is going to preserve and protect and bring through. The others die in the war that is to come. So when he says, start at my house, start at my temple, he's talking about people in the church, 90% of them, who are going to die in what is about to come. So that's what this mark is all about. He's going to have to protect them to come from all over the world, because when is it going to happen? Just as the northern army begins to move across, probably after civil war has broken out in this country and society broken down, and they're going to have to say, how do I get to Zion? And God is going to have to protect them and get them there. So they will be marked with a mark by the man with the ink horn, and the destroyers are told, leave these alone. 
Now, I think that puts everybody in the church under the gun, if you will, to pray that they be worthy to be protected when this comes down. Because without the protection of God, you will not make it. God is going... It isn't any, nothing is happenstance here. Nothing is time and chance here. God is going to cause a mark to be put upon all of those that he is going to protect and bring through and bring here to finish his work and be his tithe. There are many scriptures about that we've read, but I'm, I'm narrowing this down as to specifically who this is talking about. Ten percent of the church, as we have known it, will have this mark so that they are protected. Now, the seal, the mark of approval again, of the 144,000 ultimately, uh, is of those who come up in the first resurrection. But this is a narrower band. This is a more specific prophecy of protection for those who come through. And the rest are slain, starting at God's house. Now, we also know in Zechariah 11 that uh, an oak, a cedar, and a... What was the other tree there? Three big trees, in other words, representing men and churches are going to be cut down. It also says three shepherds will be cut off in one month. Uh, Whether that means a 30-day month or just a short period of time remains to be seen. Could be very well 30 days. So three large groups, at least, and three major shepherds are going to be cut off in a very short period of time. And that ties in here, because when this destruction starts coming, they will not be protected. They will die. Only the 10% that God... And what does it say there in Haggai? I will stir those to come. Two witnesses won't do it. Man won't do it. God will. And here he shows supernatural intervention that he has, probably an angel, designate those whom he has chosen to stir up to come. And the rest are going to stay behind and die. Pray that you be accounted worthy to escape what is coming. There's two flights. One is without haste, Isaiah 52, where people begin to come from all over the world to gather at Zion and Jerusalem, the true ones here, to finish God's work. And he says that one's not with haste. And yet it may be referring to some of these people who are in the midst of civil war and the uh, invasion and destruction and financial collapse of everything is there, and they have to get through it. Now, the second one is when we're already at Jerusalem. The 10% has been gathered. The temple has been built. I'm referring to Matthew 24 now. And Jerusalem has been rebuilt. 70 weeks prophecy. At the end of that time, the abomination is set up. They'll stand, coming from the north, in the door of the temple, setting up the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And there, Christ says in Matthew 24, when that abomination is set up, don't go back in your house, flee for your very life. And that's speaking of that 10% who have been preserved and brought through and done the work. So it's the final cut, if you will. And pray, even though you came and you helped with the work, pray that you be counted worthy to escape this last threat, which is an army surrounding Jerusalem, 
when Satan has been cast down in Revelation 12 and comes to destroy the remnant, what's left of the church, and he can't get them, they flee to Zion. So then he goes after any of those who are left who were part of the church, the remnant of Urzim. Again, Revelation 12. So two flights. One to get here to do the work, and then another cut when the abomination is set up. That is the day the two witnesses begin to go to the world uh, and preach. So, let's go to verse 8. It came to pass, while they were slaying them, and I was left, that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the residue of Israel in your pouring out of your fury upon Jerusalem? It is going to appear when this violence and destruction starts to us that God is going to destroy everybody. That's the feeling Ezekiel got. Are you going to destroy all the residue, that which is left? What's residue? It's something left in the bottom of the bottle. Are you going to kill everybody? Well, that's the way it looked. So this is going to be quite an awesome thing that is going to come down. Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood. There's going to be civil war, going to be a financial collapse, and the city full of perversions, perverseness. Didn't we read that a little earlier? Did we read it in Romans 1? Didn't we read about homosexuality and everything, not natural sin, but perverted sin on top of it? For they say, the eternal has forsaken the earth, the Lord sees not. Deists. Deism. Our founding fathers were deists who would not admit that there is a God in heaven who rules the heaven and earth. That is alive and well today in our country and around the world. They do not worship the Creator. They worship Mother Gaia and the Son and Satan. And think there's no God to see all this. This is a today prophecy. <clears throat> and as for me also, my eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as you have commanded me. So the end of the story here of this image or this imagery is that God said, I'm sending the destroyers. I'll mark the ones that you're not to kill. And then the destroyers come through and kill. And God said, I will have no pity. And the angel who had marked them said, I've done as you said. I've marked them. Let the games begin. <laughs> and I'll let the destruction start. So I think God, right now, <clears throat> is searching the hearts of those who have been a part of the greater calling of the church, and he is determining those who are still faithful, 
Those who live by faith, the just shall live by faith, did we not read in Romans 1? Those who still trust God, those who still worship God, those who believe God is going to separate them out and protect them, and are living a life that reflects that faith. God has to be presently sorting those out and putting his mark upon them because this violence is not very far away. So what Ezekiel is writing is reflected in many other prophecies and is for today. Well, I'm about out of time, so I don't think I'll start into chapter 10. But let's recognize that the beginnings of our country were not as Christian as we thought. That we had people who would not admit that there was a God or that this is God's law, but it was a moral code of men who then did not take the Bible itself and make it the law of the land, did they? They created a constitution that is somewhat similar. They gave Bill of Rights, which were somewhat similar. And since then, they have enacted thousands and thousands of laws which had a little similarity, but which are mostly now dissimilar to God's law. And the law of God is basically void in our land. So this is written about our country, not founded on God. What's the foundation of God's church? Christ and His Word. This is the law we live by. Every word of God. Does the nation, the United States, live by every word of God? Is this our law? Does Congress, does the President, does the Supreme Court open this book every day and make their judgments based on this? Not a chance. Not a chance. They're always making up every day new bills, new laws to pass to try to regulate mankind because man is perverse. Didn't Paul say they're perverse? That they're not going by the law of God? That they denied God? You deny this word, this word, you deny it and you have denied God because he wrote it. They've denied the Bible. What about the so-called ones who claim to be Christian? Do they get this book out every Sabbath, or Sunday, I mean, and read the whole thing? Or have they done away with most of it? Most of the time, they don't even print it all. They'll give you the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs, and that's it. They throw the rest out. And then, how many of them know more than ten verses in the New Testament? That's about all some of them know. There's a few that know 50 or 100. <laughs> but do they live by every word of God? No, they have their a little few in uh, Galatians or somewhere that say God's law is done away with, they think. Or maybe they'll go to the Sermon on the Mount and they'll read a few words there. Or some such thing. But Methodists, Baptists, they don't live by the whole word of God. They've denied most of the Bible. They don't read it. They don't live by it. They've said the law of God is done away. Isn't that adding to or taking from the Scriptures, the last warning in Revelation? Those who will take from the Word of God? No, the whole Word of God is what we have to live by. So if you look at our nation and people say, well, this is a Christian nation. No, it's not. It doesn't even 
look at most of the Word of God. And our leaders are deists and outright pagan degenerates that have a pedophilia ring going in Washington, D.C. among the leading rulers of the nation. It's being uncovered now. And a lot of people are scared because they're pedophiles. And they're also perverts who go to these secret societies that Ezekiel is describing. It's all here. It's all here. It's in our nation. Our capital is full of sex worship and perversion and Lucifer worship and masonry. It isn't godly. It doesn't resemble God whatsoever. Is it any wonder God is going to destroy this nation? In the church, he spewed out of his mouth, and he's only going to bring 10% through those 10 he is now marking and sealing for protection to come and do his work. Let's be among them. Brethren, let's